Let's open our Bibles today to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and we continue in this study through this New Testament letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. I remind you that he wrote it from Corinth after having been a brief time in Thessalonica. And while in Thessalonica, many, many people apparently trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. There was a, a, a rapid response, a, a rapid acceptance of this good news, and people began to grow and walk in this new faith. And the Apostle Paul builds a deep affection for them, and he longs to see them. We saw his heart last week when we looked at these verses in chapter 2 and chapter 3 where he wanted to encourage the believers in their walk and he brings to their life something on the outside encouragement which we all need he brings to them encouragement for their walk of faith and today we move from chapter 3 to chapter 4 and we go from very intentional encouragement to very intentional instruction and the Apostle Paul reminds them of what he had taught them and the instructions that he had given to them for walking out their faith in everyday life uh, we're calling this series for the win and the reason for that is is because the Apostle Paul was so um, excited he was so pleased with the way they were walking in their faith. It's as if he says, you're, you're winning. Uh, you are getting it right. And on a couple of occasions, one of these in this text we read today, he says, take what you're doing and do that more and more. And I love that. I think all of us would love in some situation where we were being evaluated for the person who was doing the evaluation to be able to look at us and say, that's it, just do that more and more. Just abound in that. You're getting it right. And the Apostle Paul does that in these verses today, and he reminds them of instructions. And we're going to look at those instructions today that he gives for walking out our faith. Now, like any father... Um, the Apostle Paul was uh, like a father to these young believers. Don't miss that. These were new believers, maybe older in earthly age, but they were younger in spiritual age. These were children of faith for the Apostle Paul, and he wanted them to learn to walk. He wanted them to walk, uh, to learn to walk spiritually. That was his most common metaphor for uh, a, a life of faith he spoke of walking walking in our faith there were occasions when he talked about running the race but most often he spoke of walking our spiritual walk our walk in Christ uh, we even saw uh, back earlier in first Thessalonians chapter 2 where he says walk in a manner worthy walk in a manner worthy of God uh, the uh, instructions that he gave were for walking. Um, we spent a lot of time trying to teach our children how to go through those stages of life. We uh, celebrate a child that he's able to 
roll over. We celebrate a child that's able to sit up. And we certainly, we go through a time of celebrating a child that can walk until there are those days where we realize what they can get to now that because they can walk. But uh, this, this was a, a celebration for the Apostle Paul. He wanted them to, to walk in a certain way. In fact, he says that the way you walk right spiritually is to walk in a way that pleases God. The right way to walk is a, is a way that pleases God. And if winning is anything, it is definitely a faith walk that pleases God. And so for a few minutes here, I want to speak to you about how to walk in a way that pleases God. How do you walk in a way that pleases God? And the answer to that, in short, is, is that we walk in a way that pleases God when we pursue a life of holiness. We walk in a way that pleases God when we pursue a life of holiness. There are a couple of statements in the verses that I'm about to read. Uh, one in verse 3 and then in verse 7 where you don't have to work hard to put the sermon in a sentence. The Apostle Paul has already put the sermon in a sentence. And he did it a couple of times. You can just take your pick. Verse 3, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then down in verse uh, 7, he says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. He has not called us to live an impure life, but he's called us to live a holy life. And so, um, look at these verses, chapter 4, and I want to read these eight verses of this chapter. The Apostle Paul says, finally then. Well, if you're paying attention, you recognize that there's still all of chapter 4, and there's still all of chapter 5. He's being a good Baptist preacher. I say that tongue-in-cheek. You say, finally, and you realize that's probably not finally. And, and uh, the, the, the word there is translated in different ways. I, I think when you, you look at kind of the language and the context here that maybe uh, more like our language today would be if it said anyway. Uh, you, you've, you've experienced that in conversations a lot where you've had somebody talk for 10 or 15 minutes and then they say, well, anyway. And, and you're like, it took us a while to get to anyway. And, and here the Apostle Paul has been appreciating them, he's been encouraging them, and then he gets to chapter 4, and he's like, anyway, here's, I want to say this, I, there's, I, I can't end without getting to this. And he says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you, we ask and we urge. There is a sense of, of um, a, a compellingness here. Like, this is critical. This is important. Uh, this, is, this is serious. We ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you 
know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God calls us to walk not in impurity, but in holiness. This is the way we please him. And I'm asking you, as I study these verses, as I talk through these verses, as you hear these verses and study them with me, is your walk pleasing to God? Is your walk pleasing to God? He said, this is how you please God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he explains, he goes to this first area of what it looks like to please God and to pursue sanctification. Now, I want to say to you here this morning that a lot of ways what I'm doing today is setting the table. And I want to I want to move through some uh, structure to this message that sets the table. And then I believe that, Lord willing, we'll, we'll come back next week and we'll sit down at this table again and we'll finish up uh, what we start today. So uh, we don't do this often. But I believe just time-wise and seriousness and the need for us to really grasp what's here, that we need to set the table, we need to eat here today, and we need to come back to this table again and spend some time. We'll pick up a couple of more verses next week in chapter 4, but, uh, but uh, continue in what we're doing here today. Now, when we talk about what's here and living to please God, I, I want to I break this out into several uh, words that begin with the letter C. And I do this just to give us some structure, just to kind of work through it, talk through it, what the Apostle Paul here is saying. And the first phrase or first statement in pleasing God that I want to uh, talk through is the call. The call, C-A-L-L, -L, the call to walk. Uh, in our faith, the call to walk in a way that pleases God. And, and what is this call? He says, just as uh, you, you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing that, you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. When he speaks of the will of God, that means this is what God desires. Uh, this is what God expects. Uh, this is what fits with who God is and what God wants to happen. Uh, some of you have taken the needed steps of having a legal last will and testament developed and put on file somewhere. And You know that the purpose of that will is to express when you're not here what your desires are, what your wishes are, what your expectations are. And you might could imagine today, uh, the, uh, you could possess today some sense of disappointment if you knew ahead of time that the will that you have 
laid out uh, was not going to be followed, was not going to be carried out. That those who were your children had decided in their mind or their heart that it really wasn't what you wanted, it is what they wanted. And here the Apostle Paul is coming and he's using that kind of terminology and he's saying, this is the will of God. And as his children, we're in a position of whether or not we're going to honor uh, his desire, his direction, his will. And he says, here it is. Uh, this is the will of God. This is the call, you could say. He, he says, your sanctification. That's his will, your sanctification. Now, sanctification is a... a part of a trinity of words that we use a lot when we're talking about salvation when we talk about salvation we talk about our sins being covered by the blood of Jesus like we sang about just a moment ago the three uh, words the trinity of words that describe our salvation are the words justification sanctification and glorification and justification is a point in time when you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the courts of heaven, if you will, declare that you are now justified, not because of what you've done, but because of who you believe. And when you believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin and took your place on the cross, heaven declares you justified by faith. Now glorification is something that we're all looking forward to. Glorification is that salvation in the future. Glorification is what will happen to us when we meet Jesus face to face and we spend eternity with, with him. We will receive a glorified body. We will be perfect. We will be complete. We will be as he designed us to be from the very beginning. It's glorification. But between justification and glorification is this process of being saved that is called sanctification and sanctification means that we are set apart for a particular life and more specifically we are set apart for holiness you're set apart for sacred use you're set apart for sacred growth sanctification is a process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. I like to understand it this way. I remember as a uh, student in college when our pastor was preaching through Romans, the light just went off and I'm like, I never heard that before and it's just stayed with me all along. It helps me understand salvation so much when he talked about the difference between our position in Christ and our practice in Christ. Our position in Christ is justification. We stand before him with a position of being holy because the righteousness of Christ has been credited to our account and God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ when he looks at us. That's our position. Our position in Christ is that we have been saved. Now, our, our practice is what happens as we continue to breathe. Our practice is what happens as we continue to live. Our practice is what happens in our walk. You could see it this way. We take a step of faith 
and we believe. But over time, those steps become a walk of faith over time. And what we're looking at today is this process of sanctification. And he's saying that this is the will of God. Your sanctification. He wants us to grow in holiness. About three years ago, I received a, a random text message. I hadn't heard from this guy in a long, long time. He wasn't currently attending our church. And, and I, you know, I, I, I looked down and I saw this uh, text. And it says... Um, Hey, Carlos, hope you're doing well. Is holiness a point in time or is it a uh, process? Man, that's a, good to hear from you. You know, just, um, I, I, I just looked at it and, and, I, and I opened the text. And, of course, I read that and I'll go through that sweat of wondering if his text shows that I've read it already or not. You know, and I don't, it's it, it, so, um, and, and I'm just, I was like, I got to let that one ride for a little bit. And, uh, and, and, and just thinking, praying. Some of you probably could answer that maybe a lot faster. But I, I realize that it comes all back to exactly what we're talking about right here. Is holiness a point in time or is it a process? And the quick answer is yes. Yes. Holiness is a point in time when we're declared righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ or through our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and we are saints. We are set apart. But the process continues in our practice where we are becoming more and more like Christ. It's what we talked about last week. The goal is Christ-likeness. Winning is us in an increasing way becoming more and more wholehearted in following Jesus Christ so that we're more like Christ on that last day of our life than any other day that we've lived life. And Jesus is saying, uh, God's word is saying here that here's the call. The call for us is to walk in sanctification. The call for us is to bring our practice in line with our position. A great way to understand sanctification is to uh, be reminded of the answer of the sculptor who is asked, how, how could you ever carve an image so beautiful as that? And the sculptor replies back, it's, it's pretty simple. You just remove everything that doesn't look like the image that you want it to be. And that's what sanctification is. It's the, it's the cutting away. It's the getting rid of everything that doesn't look like Christ. And so today as we think about pleasing God here, that the call for us is that God wants us to look more and more like his son Jesus. He wants you today on the first day of October in 2023 to look more like Jesus than you did yesterday. That's the call. Number two, I, I want to show you the context here because uh, I, we're going we're gonna to get into this. And it, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then uh, the next phrase is, is that you abstain from sexual immorality. The very first turn that the apostle ta takes from this idea of sanctification, this process of becoming more like Christ... He, he makes a sharp, sharp, fast 
approach to sexual ethics. He makes a fast, rapid approach to our sexual activity, our, our uh, participation in the sexual part of our lives. And so the, um, the, the context here is critical for us because it would be uh, easy for us to begin to make some assumptions about the environment that he wrote into, the, trying to compare that to the environment that we live in. And what you, we, we all need to see here is that when he wrote to the believers in Thessalonica that he knew what their town was like, he knew what their issues were, he knew what the culture was like, he knew what it was like uh, for the Greek people, he knew what it was like for the Roman culture, and he writes into that context. Now, there, there is a, a, a major temptation for us as believers today to want to try to fit in to the context of our culture. And we almost kind of carry this under-the-skin rash of, of just kind of this irritation almost that... that we might become so rigid or so legalistic or talk so much about holiness that the world will say, well, we don't want anything to do with them. And, and we, we, we deal with this pressure and temptation to try to fit our relationship with Jesus Christ into the relationship with the world so that there is very little feel of being different just say to you that that's really different than what the Apostle Paul taught to these new believers. In fact, what he's driving at here is, is that because you're a part of a new kingdom, this sanctification process will lead to you being more and more like the kingdom of heaven and less, less like the kingdom of this world. The very word holy means separate. It, it goes directly to being different. And yes, over time, we, we, we have to figure out how to live in this world being a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice here when we talk about the context as he begins to talk about sanctification and abstaining and and I, I know we're taking a lot of time here on these, and there's like seven or eight of these let, words that start with C, but you have the peace of knowing we're not going to do it all today, okay? Um, but the context here uh, for Rome and Greece was just open, open depravity if you compared their culture and their world to what God's heart and will and design was. Just, just one little glimpse that I read this week talking about the culture of uh, the Greeks and the Romans and in particular Thessalonica. Listen to just these, these two paragraphs about their culture and it's, I think it's important to lay the foundation of us speaking about sexual ethics in this room today and, and he says, uh, this writer uh, writing about history, he says, in Rome... 
for the first 520 years of the Republic, there had not been a single divorce recorded, but now under the empire, as it has been put, divorce was a matter of caprice. As Seneca said, women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. In Rome, the years were identified by the names of the consuls, but it was said that fashionable ladies identified the years by the names of their husbands. Juvenile quotes uh, an instance of a woman who had eight husbands in five years. This historical writer says morality was dead in those days. In Greece, immorality had always been quite blatant. Long ago, Demosthenes had written, we keep prostitutes for pleasure, we keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body, we keep wives for the begetting of children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. So long as a man supported his wife and family, there was no shame whatsoever in extramarital relationships. And the writer goes on to say it was to these men and women who had come out of a society like that that he wrote this paragraph. What may seem to many to be the merest commonplace of Christian living, that is sexual morality, was startlingly, startlingly new to them. And perhaps to us today, even sitting across these three services this morning as I speak of sanctification and abstaining from sexual immorality, it could be in many years something, in many years, something that seems kind of odd or new or antiquish. The writer says, one thing Christianity did was to lay down a completely new code in regard to the relationship of men and women. It is the champion of purity and the guardian of the home. Christianity, when it is walked out in the way that God's design displays, becomes a champion of purity and a guardian of the home. What a beautiful description of what the walk of Christianity can and should be. And so it's this context that the Apostle Paul writes into. They would read this letter aloud before a group of people and perhaps there would be uh, a, a time here where they were so excited about the encouragement to where the room grew incredibly quiet and eyes were very carefully protected from cutting from one side of the room to the other as he wrote into a context to where this would be glaringly loud regardless of the volume that was spoken. The call to walk in sanctification, the context that he writes into, and then I would speak to you about the clarity, the clarity of God's call. I think that we would all have to admit today that we live in a world that seems very confused about the sexual ethic. The so-called sexual revolution has not resolved anything. The conversation today in our world among Christians and non-Christians, followers of Christ and followers of, of other beliefs or faiths is most characterized by confusion and not clarity. But when we come to a, a passage of scripture like this, we see that God is unmistakably clear if we just go with what God says, he's very clear. 
on what his will is and what his pleasure is. Uh, it's very clear. There's clarity when it comes to what sanctification impacts. And verse 3 states this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Is that confusing to anyone? I'm not asking if it's difficult. I'm not asking if it requires a fight or a struggle. I'm not even asking you if you agree with it. But God's word says, not Pastor Carlos, not the Baptist faith and message, not, not the fathers of the church, but the biblical, inspired, inerrant word of God that is living and active with authority and clarity. It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, a lot of the confusion comes today in the discussion and the def definition of exactly what is immorality sexually and what is morality sexually. And if you drift from the rest of the message today and you miss anything else that I've already said, I do believe it's critical for us all to get this truth. When God speaks of sexual immorality. It lets us know that there is a definite sexual morality. Let's not take these seconds right now to define what that is. Can we just agree on the fact that God does have a standard? God is not searching for an answer. God is not waiting for culture to define what the divine design is. I could be a rapper, couldn't I? <laughs> now that just really messed some of you up right there, didn't it? But you're awake now on Sunday morning. God has a design. God knows what is moral and what is immoral. And the confusion that comes in our culture is man trying to determine, according to his desires, what the divine design is. And we cannot leave it up to our desires to define the divine design. God has already determined that. And God does not change like shifting shadows or American culture. And so with clarity here, the Apostle Paul says that we are to abstain from sexual immorality. 
Now, the, the word here for immorality, sexual immorality, is the two English words that are used to translate one Greek word. And it would not come as a surprise to many of you today that the, those two English words are translating the one Greek word, pornea. And so he says that you are to abstain from pornea. And in our uh, culture, this is, in our, in our world, what this uh, means for us is, is that we are to abstain from any form or fashion or participation in sexual sin. That's what pornea is. It's sexual immorality. It is sexual sin. Now, it is not teaching to us that uh, sex is evil or that sex is sin, but that there is a morality and there is an immorality when you're dealing with that part of our lives well let me move to the next word the call the context the clarity and the control the control of our desires he says for this is the will of God your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor now I would just rapidly say that the most difficult verse in all of first Thessalonians to interpret from the original Greek language is this chapter 4 verse 4 that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor there is uh, there are many uh, like-minded uh, uh, historians, church fathers, there's people that have written down over the course of 2,000 years trying to understand this that would agree in so much of life that would interpret uh, the Greek language here in a little bit of a different way. Uh, what you have in the ESV here that I'm reading from today is that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness. There are some uh, translations that would interpret the Greek words there that each one would possess his own wife. And um, I, don't have, I, don't, I don't have any kind of um, inside angle or, or expertise to, to solve which one of those that is. I have a... A, a conviction about what I believe here and I believe what's written here in the ESV for a lot of reasons is the way that I understand these verses but if that's not the case and the verse does lend itself to to being that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body the other variant reading would be that each of you uh, knows how to take a wife for himself it doesn't change the the principle of what the apostle Paul is saying to go with either one of those and the principle is is that there is an environment for sexual expression 
that is holy to God. And the environment for sexual expression is either you knowing how to control the desires of your body uh, or you doing, you, you controlling those desires within the relationship of a husband and wife. And you take these verses and you take the uh, clear teaching of the New Testament and you see that the clear, the, the clear call of God for moral sexual expression is between one man and one woman in a marriage relationship for life. That's the sexual morality of God. And, and he's saying here, I, 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 another verse, Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 4, just as a, as a, a great summary of, of just the of marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And so you, this, this picture of, of marriage is held up. Ephesians 5, this picture is held up. 1 Corinthians, it, it's again and again. The, the Apostle Paul uses marriage as the picture of a, a relationship between the bride and its groom, the bride being the church, the groom being Christ. And what we have in sexual morality that expression is to take place for it to be moral, for it to be righteous, for it to be honoring. It takes place within a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Now, that comes in the context here of speaking about how to control our fleshly desires. I want to say more about these verses in the in uh, next Sunday as we we come together but in uh, just want to stop right there I think I've said enough to give you plenty to talk about over lunch today and and you can get your kids home safe uh, without me teaching a course today on sex education um now here's the, here's the here's the reality. When we talk about sexual immorality and sexual morality among believers, uh, and maybe some here today that are not believers, um, I know that this is a real battle in many lives today and that if your mind and heart and life actions are set out in front of you today that many if and I'm just going by statistics of the world that through surveys that would be that many today are not winning when it comes to sexual morality in the eyes of God. And it's wrecking marriages. Listen, it's wrecking people's lives before they get into marriage.
And some today in this room are trapped in sexual sin. Some in this room today are scarred by sexual sin. Some in this room today are prideful when it comes to sexual sin. And here's what I mean. Prideful in that you believe that it really doesn't apply to you. That God understands where you are. Or prideful when it comes to sexual sin, believing that you would never fail in that area. And they're both pride. Some are trapped, some are scarred, some are prideful, some are confused. Because of maybe some desires that you're fighting or because of the, what the world is feeding you. Some are addicted. Some are addicted. In a, in a way that you, a person can be addicted to alcohol, you're addicted today to sexual sin. The good news is, is that it is possible for you to win. It is possible for you to win. And I close with this story, and God has used this in my heart and life, and I just, um, I, I walk usually in the mornings, sometimes in the evening, sometimes just do it when you can. Many of you have greeted me with your horn out on the four lane as I'm walking out there. My, I've developed a very common route. I add a few cul-de-sacs here and there, but basically my walk uh, is to come out of my neighborhood and turn right and walk to Quick Trip and touch the light at the corner of Quick Trip and turn around and go back past my neighborhood and on Marshall Road, you'll know that if you've paid attention, that on Marshall Road now on the four lane, if I'm walking back toward Watkinsville to the left, just before you get to the daycare, are three crosses that have been placed in the field there. Have you seen those? And here's what God's done every day that I walk. He's saying, Carlos, your walk is not complete until you've walked to the crosses. And I know that when my, my walk is almost complete, when I walk all the way down to the cross, and then I go home. And I want to tell you that the way you win with sexual sin is for every day to walk to the cross. You take it to the cross. You take it to the cross every day and when you go to the cross you see the cost of that sin you see the cure for that sin and you find victory over that sin any sin victory is found in the cross